Today's scripture reading is Luke 2, 36 through 38. If you have a Bible, we would love for you to follow along with us. And if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Um, you can grab one on the table on the way out. Again, our reading is Luke 2, 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when, from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Cameron. Um, good to see you all. My name is Reed Kappel. I serve as the campus pastor here of the Olathe campus of Christ Community. It's good to be with you all. And uh, yes, for Christmas, I got a cold. So that's what I got. So, uh, but it's really a joy to be with you all. Uh, as Cameron mentioned, if you're new, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. Uh, we'd love to get to know you and, and um, answer questions you might have about who we are as a church. Um, I'm really excited about what we have in store to hear from God's Word this morning. But I want to pray for our time uh, as we continue on. So let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we, we believe that you are present, that you are with us. Lord, as we have been waiting and anticipating in this Advent season to celebrate the truth that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us, Lord, may we be keenly aware of that truth, that that is not just a name, but that that communicates the fact that, that when we are your people, that we live in your presence in all places. And so, Lord, may we be aware of the fact that you are here. Lord, I pray for your spirit to open our eyes and our ears to hear from you, to be formed and shaped by your word, that we might be equipped to be sent out to honor you, to love you, and to love others well, reflecting the goodness, the grace, and the love of our Messiah who has come to be with us. So Lord, may this time be honoring to you and edifying to us. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, depending on, on your perspective, we are, we are either three days away from the end of 2019 or the start of 2020. You know, like, it depends on your perspective. Like, 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 and this is more than just kind of, are you a half gla glass half full, half empty kind of person? But, but it just totally depends on how we view things. You know, we either see New Year's Day as the, the marker of how we failed at all of our resolutions last year, or it's the day we convince ourselves, no, this is the year I'm going to go to the gym for more than a month. This is the year I'm going to go off social media for more than a week. This is the year I'm going to love my in-laws or my teachers or my, my coworkers more than a day. You know, it's like we really convince ourselves this is the year. Um, or we, we kind of see it this day, like it's two things. It's either the indicator of a year lost or it is an opportunity to see a year gained. And, and this is really important for us to, because this isn't just, like I said, about seeing the glass half full or half empty. This is really about how we view life, how we understand the totality of our days. The way we look at this day that marks the next 365 is really a way that reveals how we view the totality of our days. In many ways, we should look at this new year and ask ourselves, do I see this as an opportunity for gain, or do I see and only look at all of the things I've lost this past year? And, and how we answer that question, I think, is predicated on how we answer this question. Is, are we prepared to meet Jesus? 
Are we prepared to meet Jesus? And, and that question, like if you, you know, it sounds like a very morbid question. Like it kind of has that, that tone of, are you prepared to meet your maker? And that's kind of what we mean in that question. And while we don't necessarily like to think about that, we all recognize whether you believe in Jesus or not, we all know that there is a day that is coming that marks the end of our days here on earth. We all know that our days are numbered. And so whether you believe in Jesus or not, the question you should ask yourself is, what are you doing now? How are you living your life now, preparing yourself for that last day? That's really what I mean by this question of, are you prepared to meet Jesus? Now, I know that some of you are probably thinking this like, like, there's no place I have, I'm not really in a position to offer any kind of wisdom or insight into the art of aging well. Okay, I get that. I know, like, like some of you are probably thinking like, how does this 38-year-old who looks like he can barely vote, <laughs> like say anything to me about what it means to age well and to live life to the fullness in the years that God has graced us with? And, and you're right, there's a sense in which I don't have the birthdays to qualify for that kind of wisdom. But I have, in my experience and in my life, I have journeyed with, I have sat with, I have learned from, and I have eulogized and buried enough friends and church family members to have gleaned some wisdom and insight from what it means to age well in this world. And, and again, I don't say this as a way to be a downer, but I do believe we should ask this question with a kind of sober-mindedness about how we are conducting our lives now and how it is preparing us in some way, shape, or form for our last day. Because in my experience, there, there is a world of difference between people who are later on in years who are prepared to meet Jesus and those who are not. There is an, an, an inexpressible and kind of infectious joy that I find in, in sisters and brothers of ours who are later on in years ready to meet Jesus, who have a joy that I just cannot explain. But I've also sat with people. I have buried people who have had, who were filled not with joy, but a bitterness and a resentment, a cynicism that was just so unattractive. And, and that's been my experience. I find that when I enter into relationship and conversation with those who are facing the end of their life, they are either filled with a great joy or great bitterness. And so whether you are 8 or 38 or 78, this is a question we should be asking ourselves. How are we living our lives in such a way that we are preparing for our last day? Are we living our lives in such a way that we are growing more grateful or grumpy, more jaded or joyful? Are we growing bitter or better? And what does it take for us to live this life and face that last day prepared to meet Jesus? Now, if you've been with us in, in this Advent season, we've been exploring the, the, the birth narrative of Jesus through the first songs of Christmas. And, and we come this morning to kind of round out that series by looking at kind of, a, kind of an overlooked and forgotten character in the birth narrative, and that is the prophetess Anna. Only three verses are given to Anna, uh, but she finds her way into this story, and we should ask ourselves the question, Why? And as we come to the text, while there isn't a lot to glean from in terms of volume of information, we see a depth of wisdom, a lifetime of wisdom found in these three verses that describe Anna. And this morning as we meet together in our text in Luke chapter 2, I want us to kind of explore this one idea, that a life prepared to meet Jesus is a life of joy. A life that is prepared to meet Jesus is a life of joy. 
Now, as I said, there's not a lot of information about Anna. We just have these three verses. And yet, within these three verses, we actually get the whole scope of her life pretty much. I mean, from the reference of her being married as a virgin, which is probably in her uh, teenage years, to the reference of her being 84 years old, we see the whole scope of her life right before us in these three years. Now, the reference, it says that she was 84 years old. Some translations will say, and she was a widow for 84 years old. It's, it's not quite clear in the Greek uh, how old she is. Regardless, she's up there in years. And so it's possible that she is well into her hundreds. But regardless, Anna has lived a full life up until this point. We also learn that she's a prophetess, a female prophet, which there's only five references of a prophetess in the Old Testament, only one in the New Testament, and that's Anna. And as a side note, I think it's interesting, again, asking the question, why is Anna's story here? And I think it's unique to point out that God, as He grants gifts to His people for the purpose of building up His people, God gives His gifts to His people regardless of gender. And we see that in Anna as being called a prophetess, which meant during this time, her job was most likely serving a role, as a role of, of encouraging and exhorting God's people through His Word. Anna had this level of, of leadership and responsibility among God's people, and I believe Luke is wanting to highlight that for several reasons, one of which is that God, throughout Scripture, we see the heart of God always being drawn towards the vulnerable, defending, protecting, uplifting the marginalized, the outcasts. In fact, Luke, the gospel writer, throughout his gospel, he is constantly showcasing and highlighting those who would be seen as socially uh, outcast. And, and, and unfortunately, in this culture, and, and sometimes in our day-to-day, we find that women are in that category. I believe Luke uniquely is showing us Anna's story on the heels of Simeon's story. If you remember Simeon, he was promised that the Messiah would be born before he died. And as he is holding God incarnate, he declares that the light of God has come to the Gentiles, salvation to all peoples. And right after that, we see Anna's story. And I think Luke is recording Anna's story as a way to affirm what Simeon was declaring, this beautiful radical truth that God's salvation has come for all peoples, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of social status, regardless of their age or their marital status. He has come to be the king for all peoples. Amen? That's the good news we're celebrating. And I believe Anna, in her status as an older woman, Luke is affirming this truth. And so even though many might disregard or dismiss Anna because of her age, because of, of her gender, and because of her marital status, I believe Luke is using this woman to show us what it looks like to age well and to be prepared to meet Jesus. And again, even though we only have three verses, there is a lifetime of wisdom to be gleaned from this woman. And the first thing I want us to look at in Anna's life as we think about a life prepared to meet Jesus is a life of joy. The first thing we see is that joy comes through emptiness. Joy comes through emptiness, which sounds strange and backwards, and I want to explain what I mean by this. Now, even though the word joy doesn't show up in the text, you, you get the sense that, that, that joy permeates Anna's disposition. You, you see it clearly when, when she responds after hearing the news that Jesus has come. She goes and she declares this truth to those who are in earshot. But the question we should ask ourselves is, what was it that prepared Anna for this day? What was she doing with her life that was priming the pump, so to speak, tilling the soil for her to respond and receive this news with such joy? 
The answer is found in verse 37. Then as a widow until she was 84, uh, Anna did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, if you're hearing that, you might be thinking, okay, so the pathway to joy requires that we spend all of our time, our waking hours in the temple, in the church. Like we have to be here, like I have to devote myself to church work in order to truly find a pathway to joy that seems completely impossible and unrealistic. And what I'd say is, no, that's not what what this text is communicating. In fact, there's, there's no advantage that people who work for the church have a greater sense of joy than other people. And if you doubt me, I give you exhibit A. Exhibit A is a great example of those who devote themselves. No, just kidding, just kidding. That's, that's Nathan. If you were here a few weeks ago, he had some jabs at me. We brothers, we, that's what we do. We pick on each other. But the point is, the point is, this picture that we see of Anna devoting herself to worship, fasting, and prayer in the temple, that's not to say, okay, so therefore in order to truly love God and serve Him and find joy in life, you must devote yourself to church work. That's not what this is saying. Because of what the temple represents. You see, the temple of God that was, that was uh, in, c- given to God's people, the nation of Israel, the temple was meant to be this, this illustration, this symbol of God's presence with His people. But, but the temple was never the, the sole container of God's presence, and neither was it meant to be the, the final place where God dwelt with His people. It was always meant to be temporary. It was a foreshadow of the great temple that would come, namely God's people themselves. You see, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about what is the temple. The temple is not a building. Just as we say the church is not just a structure, it is a people. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16, Do you not know that you, referring to the church, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now, what this means is that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, the same spirit that inspired the authors of Scripture, the same spirit that came upon Jesus like a dove at his baptism is the same spirit that is alive and at work and who dwells within you. And that the temple of God, his presence is with us, his people, yes, as a gathered community, but also as a scattered people throughout our lives. And so what this means is that we don't have to only come to Sunday morning to encounter the presence of God. We encounter and live within the presence of God in every space, in every place we find ourselves. It is not just Sunday morning where we encounter God's presence, but it is in our Monday life where we live before Him in all things. And so what this means is that the spiritual habits of prayer and fasting that Anna engaged in, they are practices that we can and indeed we should practice and engage and, and, uh, and, and implement into our lives throughout our days, not simply on Sunday mornings or when we are in quote-unquote religious spaces. The picture of Anna devoting herself to fasting and prayer in the temple is a way for us to say we are now the temple of God. And for us to pursue joy in God's presence, we should engage these practices not just when we gather in spiritual spaces, so to speak, but in all the places and spaces God sends us. And so as we think about Anna engaging these practices, she was doing so to do what? She was preparing herself She was preparing to be awakened to God's presence as she fasted and prayed, ready to meet Jesus. In the same way, we too should intentionally engage these practices as a way for us to live each day ready to meet Jesus. 
It, like to, to reserve these habits and practices for only the times when we're in these religious spaces, so to speak, that, that's like saying, I'm going to form healthy eating habits by dieting just for one meal a week. Like that, that's not going to do the trick. There has to be a consistency. In the same way, if we are longing to live in the presence of Jesus, following him and living before him, finding fullness of joy in him, well, it requires a consistency in our practices of emptiness, like prayer and fasting. Now, I, I want to explore this a little bit more, and I, I want to talk a little bit about fasting. Because fasting is one of those disciplines, like, e- even if you grew up in church, you're like, fasting, that's just what weird religious fanatics do, right? And, and I want us to, to understand what is the purpose of this. To put it simply, fasting is the act of emptying ourselves of things that we find joy, comfort, and escape in. It's a way of emptying ourselves of things that we naturally find joy, comfort, and escape in, but, but we do so in order to kind of recalibrate and center our attention upon which that, that which truly satisfies, namely Jesus. Fasting, in other words, fasting is an opportunity. It is not, it is not an end in and of itself. It is a means. It is a way for us to kind of separate ourselves from our desires, the things that we pursue joy in, and ask ourselves, have I come to expect more joy and satisfaction, validation, and worth from this thing over and above Jesus? And it may not even be a bad thing, but when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing. And fasting becomes this practice to say, have I unknowingly given my attention and affection to something less than God, expecting it to satisfy and give me worth. And so at the end of the day, what fasting does is it allows us to ask that question, have I supplanted Jesus with something less than him? We don't fast as a way to kind of impress God. Like I fasted today, I'm a really good Christian, but it is a means to a greater end. It's a way for us to evaluate our appetites and ask, have I come to functionally give my affections to a God in my life that was never intended to be a God. In, in his book, uh, Hunger for God, John Piper, he, he describes kind of what fasting does and how we are to slow ourselves down and pay attention to our appetites. He says this, most of us run the risk of being overly sensualized simply by having every craving satisfied and rarely pausing in a moment of self-denial to discover if there are alive within us spiritual appetites that could satisfy us at a much deeper level than food. I think that's, that's such a great capture of this. Like we, we so often, I mean, rarely do we deny ourselves anything. And in so doing, we may find that we are expecting greater joy from lesser things that will never come. And so fasting becomes an opportunity to assess, have I given my attention and affection to something other than Jesus? Fasting is a way to awaken ourselves to the ways that we have sought joy in things apart from Christ. It's a discipline that that I've heard described in this way. It's a discipline that allows us to pay attention to what we pay attention to. It helps us see how we have so naturally and and with just the gravitational pull of our desires given our affection and attention to lesser things. In his book, Common Rule, Justin Early, he describes kind of fasting in this way. He says, fasting is to let your desires hang out in the open where you can observe them. I love that. I think that's really helpful. It's again, it's to help us see, am I living my life? Am I being led by my desires? And is it taking me down a path that I don't necessarily want to go? Fasting serves as this means to an end. 
And I believe this habit, this practice becomes more important as we age, not less important. And the reason I say that is because as we get closer and closer to the day that we enter into eternity, I believe that we find the importance of guarding ourselves from being so fixated on temporal things to be that much more important. As we prepare for that last day of life, we should guard ourselves from being so fixated upon the things of this earth that don't ultimately satisfy us. I believe that we need to train ourselves, just as Anna did, in preparing to meet Jesus by suspending some of those desires, again, not as an end in and of itself, but as a means to grow in joy in Christ. I think one of the ways that we grow bitter in life The reason why we find bitterness and cynicism in those who age at times, I think it's because we've become so accustomed to filling our lives with consumption and accumulation. I think we grow bitter because we've allowed ourselves to just, we don't deny ourselves enough. We get to the end of our lives and there's this kind of letdown because all the things that we've lived for and accumulated and consumed have not fully satisfied. They haven't scratched the itch. And so we feel this letdown, and it creates this almost kind of panicked bitterness where we're trying to make up for lost time. And I think the practice and habit of fasting can guard us from bitterness growing in in all stages of life. And again, I think that bitterness comes because we've spent more time consuming rather than engaging in the practices of emptying. And herein lies the irony, is that when we try to consume and fill ourselves, we find ourselves less satisfied. But when we engage in the habits of emptying ourselves, we find fullness of joy as we are able to be more attentive and in tune with the presence of God in our midst. So as we think about kind of this habit, these practices of emptiness that prepare us for a life of joy, let, let, me, let me encourage us to do this. As you think about this week, what, what is something that you can fast from? What is something you can empty yourself of, deny yourself? Again, not as a way to impress God, but as a way to enjoy Him more. And so maybe it is food. Maybe it's fasting a day. Maybe it's taking meals away for one day as a way to focus your attention and say, Lord, as I hunger and thirst for food, may I hunger and thirst for you. Lord, as I, as I so naturally kind of turn to Netflix or television or, or my phone or whatever it is, as I turn to this thing as my escape, remove this thing so that I might find you to be my refuge and my source of comfort. What is that thing you can remove from your life this week so that you can pay attention to what you pay attention to? And I think as we do that, we should, we should focus and concentrate our prayers that day and just ask, like, Lord, show me. Show me how I've come to find more joy in this thing, even if it's not a bad thing, but have I come to find more joy in this thing apart from you? And may you redirect my desires for you, the source of my ultimate joy. I believe that a life that is prepared to meet Jesus is a life that pursues joy through emptiness. But as we also look at Anna, the second thing I want us to see is that joy grows through gratitude. Joy grows through gratitude. And, and to kind of feel this, I, I, want us to, I want us to kind of sense the heavy years that Anna has lived. Again, we just have three verses on her, but this woman, she has lived as a widow the majority of her life. After seven years of marriage, she lost her husband. We don't know how or why, but she has lived as a widow her whole life. And no doubt she has experienced grief and sorrow. By this point in her life, she has probably buried many of her friends. And so she is well acquainted with grief and sorrow. If there's any person who has the reason to be cynical and bitter in their later years, it's Anna. 
And yet, Luke describes her as a woman filled with thanks to God. Look with me at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to Him and speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, like I said, she has all the reasons to be cynical and bitter in life, and yet she is described as being thankful. And there's something to be said about growing in gratitude as we grow in age. Because I I think that the natural gravitational pull of our hearts is not towards gratitude. If we kind of go into neutral, we don't coast towards gratitude. We coast towards ingratitude. We coast towards bitterness and cynicism. Or, or we just kind of remain neutral. Like we're, we may not necessarily be bitter, but, but we're not proactive in expressing that gratitude. And so one of the ways I think we can guard ourselves from growing in this bitterness is by cultivating a heart of gratitude. And, and I think this, this is so difficult as we age because I think, I think we grow more stubborn as we get older. We become more set in our ways. We become fixated in all the, the lost time, the years lost, the things we didn't get to do. Rather than seeing each day and the years ahead as opportunities to live and enjoy God in His presence. But when we live our lives preparing to meet Jesus then we ought to see each day not as a sign of, of things lost, but as an opportunity to gain more time with Christ. In fact, theologian Wayne Grudem, he, he penned these words actually when he was my age 25 years ago in describing this posture that those who walk with Christ should see each day as an opportunity of gaining more of Him, not as things that we have lost in the past. He says this, if in our hearts at each birthday there is renewal of fellowship with God, growth in our Christian life, spiritual joy and delight, praise and thanksgiving, then we are growing stronger even while we grow weaker in our physical bodies. I I think Anna is, is a picture of this. This woman, like I said, who has every reason to kind of give up, to be resentful, to be bitter and cynical towards life, is filled with gratitude in these later years. And it's not out of a a blissful ignorance or naivety, but she is keenly aware of the presence of God, waiting for His promises to be fulfilled. And as she witnesses them in her midst, she responds with great thanksgiving. I love how uh, theologian Thabidi Aniabwele, which his name is just really fun to say, uh, but, but he puts it this way in his commentary on Luke. He talks about, he refers to Anna and talks about how we should cultivate this heart of gratitude. He says, as we age, let us become more experts in giving God thanks for thousands of days of fresh mercy that he has shown us. I, I want that to be described of me now and as I continue to age. I want to be a person that when my children and my grandchildren, Lord willing, are around me, that they leave feeling like they've been with someone who saw life as a gift from God. And I, I frankly, I don't, I don't feel that that is how my life is described. I don't think my kids would leave my presence in that way. Like, man, dad just sucks the joy out of, or he, he, he just takes all the joy out of life. He loves it. He tries to find every opportunity to find joy in life. I don't, I don't think that's how they describe me. Do we live our lives in such a way that we are filled with gratitude and that we express it? I heard somebody once say recently that that gratitude is is the the state of being you're in. It's the feeling. But thanksgiving is is how you express that gratitude. 
And I don't know if you're like me, but how, I mean, there are too many times where I have the thought of being thankful for someone. I think about like, man, I'm so, man, I, I appreciate this person, or man, I'm so thankful for how they're gifted at this. And it never materializes into actually saying it to them. I thought it, you know, and that, that's good enough. But like, man, so often I let those thoughts just remain there and they never materialize into actual expression. Would we be a people who are so generous with our gratitude towards others that it would guard us from that kind of bitterness and cynicism? Now, this, this kind of idea of growing in gratitude, it's not just a, a moral imperative. It's something that's good for us. In fact, there's a professor at the University of California, Davis. Uh, he's a professor, Dr. Robert Emmons. He's one of the leading scholars in the area of gratitude. And he makes this very stunning observation about those that cultivate practices and habits of gratitude. He says this, gratitude has one of the strongest links to mental health and satisfaction with life of any personality trait. Grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions, such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism. He goes on to say, gratitude as a discipline protects us from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. So do you, I mean, do you want to be a person who's prepared to meet Jesus? Are you wanting to find joy in life that, that I think we ought to be cultivating practices and habits of gratitude, recognizing that God is the giver of all good things, seeing the breath in your lungs, the sight in your eyes, the sound in your ears, the taste in your tongue as gifts from God to be enjoyed and to be celebrated? I, I think I've told this story before, but uh, several years ago, my daughter Jane, when she was uh, four, uh, she was uh, drawing uh, on a page on the ground, and just all of a sudden, she just jumped up, and she goes, oh, my ears! And I just kind of looked, I was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? She goes, I just forgot about them. <laughs> like, and, and she just started, like, touching them, and was like, I just, like, I can hear, and like, and like, she was just, like, I just loved it. I was like, when do we ever stop and just say, thank you, Lord, for my ears? And may, I mean, may we be a people like my daughter Jane. May we be a people who awaken, as, as the Beatty said, may we be a people who are able to give thanks for a thousand days of God's mercy in the past and look forward with great anticipation and joy, the days to enjoy Him moving forward. A life prepared to meet Jesus is a life that finds joy through emptiness. It grows through gratitude. But lastly, we find that also joy multiplies through sharing. Joy multiplies through sharing. And this is the last thing we see in Anna's life. This is where you see the joy of Anna kind of on full display, like cranked up to 11. Like it's just very clear in how she, her joy is poured out. She almost can't contain it as we, as we look at verse 38. It says, and coming up at that, that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, it's, it's not explicit here in the text uh, that, that Anna is, uh, has seen and witnessed the Messiah. But, but when you kind of, you see, I mean, like Luke records Anna's uh, account right after Simeon. So Simeon's in the temple, is, is holding Jesus, and then right after that, Anna is in the temple. And then that phrase, at that very hour, it leads us to believe that Anna is in the presence of Jesus. And, and as she is finally now in the presence of the fulfillment of the promise that she's been waiting for, her reaction, her natural reaction is to invite others in, is to share that news. She can't contain it. 
It's not out of a sense of compulsion, like she's been waiting to fulfill this, this assignment, so to speak, but out of joy in what she has received and witnessed, she invites others into it. And that's the natural response. And, and we all know this, like we, we all know that natural inclination. When you experience something that you enjoy, the natural tendency is to want to invite others in. When you discover a, a musical artist or a movie or a book that you love, you share it with others. We do this naturally as a way to increase our joy in it. And so Anna, as she has been waiting her whole life, she's prepared to receive this news of God's kingdom breaking in. And she responds with great joy. She doesn't waste a second. Now, as a side note, again, we might look, some people might look at Anna and say, man, like, like her, you know, really, Anna, her, her best years are kind of behind her. You know, I mean, she's, she's 84, maybe even like into her hundreds. She's, she's single. She's like facing the end. Like Anna's lived a good life. Her best years are behind her. And we might dismiss her in that regard. And even though she has had more birthdays than she probably will have at this point, the thing that we see is that God is not done with her. That God, I think the reason why Luke records Anna's story here, and Simeon's story for that matter, is to reveal to us the truth that, that un- until you're dead, God is not done with you. And some of us need to hear that afresh personally, but some of us need to hear that because that's kind of how we have viewed and looked at those who are older than us. That we need to see that God's call upon our life, that if we are following Jesus, filled with the Spirit, that your calling does not go away. Yes, your energy levels, resources, your time and strength may change, but your calling to love God and love your neighbors is no different. It may take a different shape and have a different look, but we are called to follow after God. And so I think this idea that our best years are behind us is foolish. And we see this in Anna's story. That as she is facing the end, she cannot contain her joy, and she goes to share and invite others in to the joy that she has found. Now, while, while Anna doesn't have a song, so to speak, what we do see is that as she has come to see and, and hear the song of Jesus, what we learn in Anna's story is that the song of Jesus is a tune we don't hum in our head. It is a song that must be sung out loud. That that's what we see in Anna. She cannot contain herself. She has to share this joy in news of what she has encountered. And it's not out of coercion or compulsion. It is out of sheer delight and joy. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, we need to take note from Anna that this is the posture that we should engage in and hold as we think about what it means to share the good news of Jesus with others. We don't do so from a posture of, I have the answers to all of the questions you're asking. I have everything that is right and you're on the wrong side. I'm going to win this debate and I'm going to win you over. Even the language we use seems to communicate that we are superior to others. But instead, we should have this posture of, I just want to share the joy that I have found so that you can share in the joy that I have found in Christ Jesus. I, I know we shared this quote a few weeks ago, but, but Madeline LaEngle talks about this very posture that, that I think we need to learn from. She says this, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. So friends, do you want to be prepared to meet Jesus? Do you want to find life filled with joy? then we should share the joy that we have found in Christ Jesus. Again, not out of a place of, of coercion or obligation, but out of a sense of joy. Because again, we share that which we enjoy 
so that our joy in it can increase. That's why, I mean, I, I love tacos. I love tacos. I love eating tacos. I love trying new tacos. I love talking about tacos. Like, who's heard me talk about tacos? More than, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. I love talking about tacos. And it's not like, it's not difficult for me. It's not awkward for me. Like, we naturally share that which we enjoy. In the same way as we, if we've come to know the truth of who Jesus is, responding and sharing that good news with others is not from a place of, I've got the answers and you've got to know what they are. But rather, I just want you to, to encounter what I have come to see. As Jesus encountered the woman at the well in John 4, after her encounter, she leaves and goes into the town and says, come see about this man who has told me everything I've ever done. She doesn't come with the answers like, I've got the truth, come over here, I've got it, let me, like, you guys, all, all your questions, they'll be answered in Jesus. She just says, come see about a man who has told me everything I've ever done. She has found joy in Christ in the same way that should be our posture. And so as you think about this year, if you are in Christ Jesus, who is someone in your life you can begin sharing the joy of Christ with? Again, not out of a, out of a posture of, of obligation and coercion, but from a place of joy so that your joy might be multiplied as you see them delighting in Christ. Well, we began by asking this question, what does it look like to prepare ourselves to meet Jesus? And in this question, it's a question that all of us need to ask. If you're, if you're not a Christian, this is a question you need to ask today. Are you prepared to meet Jesus? Are you prepared to know that He is the one who has come to be the redemption, the forgiveness of your sins? That He has come to bring wholeness of life to you? That He has come to be the one who satisfies your longing heart? That He has come to be the one who suffers for you and with you? Are you prepared to meet Jesus today? But if you are a Christian, this question is still for you. Are you prepared to meet Jesus each and every day? Are you prepared to enter into tomorrow morning wherever God has you, ready and aware and attentive to the fact that God's presence dwells with you and that you live your life as a temple of God before Him and for Him in all things? Are you forming the right habits and practices to awaken yourself and to prepare yourself to enter His presence? Through the practices of emptiness of fasting and prayer, engaging the scriptures, are we preparing ourselves to meet Jesus? But again, this question is for all of us, because each and every one of us is preparing for our last day, whether we know it or not. We're all living our lives, spending our time, ordering our loves, stewarding our resources in some way that is preparing us for our last day. And my prayer and hope for all of us is that we would be a people who are so aware of the good news of Jesus and His presence in our lives that we are prepared for that day, that we would look at our past not as things lost, but as we see now and whatever is to come, if God would grace us with tomorrow as an opportunity to enjoy Him in His presence. And so, friends, we should ask that question, are we prepared to meet Jesus? Let's take a moment to pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we do ask that in this time you would awaken us to your presence. Not just in this space, Lord, but as we leave, and maybe even uniquely as we leave and we enter into what we might refer to as the ordinary parts of our lives, Lord, may we see that your extraordinary presence is with us. Lord, would you give us the abilities to suspend certain desires so that we might be able to focus on you more clearly? that we would tune out the various distractions that compete for our affection and our attention so that we might find you to be the source of joy that our hearts long for. 
Lord, I pray that you would fill us with gratitude, that we would see every day, every moment that you have given us as an opportunity to give you thanks. Lord, may we fill our lives with gratitude for you and for those around us, and may we be a people who have come to find the joy in Christ Jesus in such a way that we cannot help but share it with others so that they might join in the joy we have found in you. Lord Jesus, prepare us to meet you now and forever. And for those, Lord, who are far from you, would your spirit awaken within them the ability to see you as their rescuer, their redeemer, their savior, that they might be prepared to meet you now. Lord, may this be so of all of us. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.